You can go to Matthew 4. We're going to kind of go from the end of the chapter here, from verse 17 down to the end of the chapter. And what I have to tell you today is this. God has a calling on your life. If you're a believer, God made you for a purpose. You are not a waste of space. You are not a waste of time. The life that you've lived to this point has not disqualified you. Uh, You are not too old. You are not too young. You are not too quiet. You are not too introverted. You have a calling from God on your life. Does everybody believe that? You have a calling from God on your life. But it is becoming the norm in Christianity for us to miss the call of God on our lives, to miss out on it. I'm not suggesting that people don't care about God's calling. Many people do care. A lot of people don't care. They're thankful that Jesus saved them, but they want to go live their life. And someday that heaven stuff and that spiritual stuff, whatever, that'd be nice. But right now I just, I want to live for me. And I'm not saying that there are people aren't trying to, to find God's will or live in God's will. There are many people who miss God's call on their life, but they are hard at work on stuff every day. They are busy. They are stressed. They are overwhelmed. They are running at a pace that is not healthy. And what it feels like, maybe this is you, what it feels like is you're a little empty. You're a little hopeless. You feel like, where's, the, where's life in all of this? I feel like I get up, I go to work, I do my stuff, I go to school, I come home, I take care of the things there, I go to sleep, I get up the next day, it starts all over again. What is this all about? Anybody feel that ever? And what I think that is, is that we've missed God's calling on our lives. Some of it's because we get confused. We think that God's calling on our life is our career. God's calling on our life is our career. Um, if I, when I was a young adult, I was like, oh, I wonder what God's going to call me to do. And so I would think about that and I would sort that out. You know, what do I want to do with my life? Maybe, you know, it's the job that God gives me and, 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 and how that's going to progress and go forward and, and I'll do great things for God or, or God's put a call on my life in that way. And, it, and maybe that's true. But I think the norm for believers is that God gives you a job only as a side note to his actual calling on your life. Now, people, we're going to go to work this week, unless you're on vacation or whatever. You're going to go to work. Think about this. What if work is just a side note to what God has actually called you to do? What if it's just the way that God laid a path out in front of you to do his kingdom business wherever you go? What if God's calling in your life isn't your career? Your purpose may just be greater than anything that you've currently been focused on, career just being one of them. Maybe you thought, well, I know my job is not you know, my point. Maybe you thought my point was being good. I should be a good person, and so I'm striving and pursuing to be a good person. And it's, you know, it's wearisome, but I believe in it. I'm going to stick with it. Maybe you think the point of life and, and where the, the life is missing out is I need to have fun. I need to be with friends. I need to have nobody telling me what to do. I need to do whatever I want to do. Maybe you think that God's calling on your life is to be wise with your money and with your choices, and so I'm really bearing down on that or to take care of your health, or to guard your reputation. These are God's callings on our lives. Here's the truth. None of those things are big enough to be your calling. But the shame is, many believers act like they are. 
They become consumed with them. They become focused on and fixated on. They measure their lives by them. And here's the, here's the dirty little secret. Pastors get caught in the same thing. You can be a pastor full-time serving a church and miss your calling in life because you think your calling's about all of the things that make a church go when that's not your calling at all. See if I can illustrate this to you. God's calling is something that he shows each person that, that, that we go through this life and there's a uniqueness to God's calling on your life, but we all have the same bottom line. There's a reason that we're here. There's a reason we're a church and there's a cause that is big enough and matters enough that we should give our lives to it. Have you found that cause? Is that your purpose and your meaning in life? So often we live and and, and get consumed with what it should be like. What should life be like? Life shouldn't be like this. I think life should be like that. And we complain about that life isn't what it should be. Or we dream about what life will be someday when we get out of all this trouble. Someday out there. Well, God's calling is not in the what it should be. And God's calling is not what you dream like it would be. God's calling is right where you are. Maybe in the midst of a storm, maybe in the midst of darkness, maybe in a life that doesn't look like what you thought it would look like. God's calling is right in the middle of that. A lot of you weren't around when we were really young as a church. And I'll just share a couple stories that, that come to my mind as I think about this this week. We were really, really, I don't know, 60, 70 people. We were meeting at a fire hall and we would do Bible study on Wednesday nights in this fire hall, uh, Almanesson Lake fire hall. There's just a dozen people around in a, a chair of circles many times. It wasn't super big formal this. It was just us looking at the Word of God, studying it, and what, what are we going to do with our life? And if you were around back then, there was, a, there was a guy who visited us on Wednesday night. And all I have to say to you, if you were around back then, is one-armed Charlie. And you, yeah, this is the group over here. You, one-armed Charlie came out to Bible study, right? Now, let me tell you about one-armed Charlie. Um, every single time he showed up, he was super pleasant, uh, very engaged. He had questions. They weren't always on what we were talking about, but he had questions. Um, he only had one arm. We don't know why. He told me a bunch of different stories. I'm still not sure I know why he has one arm. Um, and he was drunk every time. I mean, plastered, stumbling into the church. And he would sit down in Bible study and he would talk. We prayed for his cat with cancer and like, but here's the thing. I thought about how often churches, when they dream, who's going to be, what's this church going to look like? They don't think of people like One-Armed Charlie. They think of pretty people and uh, people with talent and people with money and people who can move forward and whatever. But when, when he started coming to our church on Wednesday nights, and he probably came a handful of times. He probably came seven or eight times. Matter of fact, he told me one time, Pastor Mark, I'm going to come Sunday. And I said, Charlie, come here. Said, Listen, if you come Sunday, you can't be drunk. <laughs> you, I mean, you can't be like this because Sunday's a different deal. You can't be, you know, out loud and sp- speaking out in the middle of the You have to kind of like, it's a different thing. So I'd love for you to come, but you can't. He only came a few times, but here's the thing that grabbed me. Our church family loved that he came out on Wednesday night because they saw somebody who was lost and needed Jesus. 
So many times we can miss our calling because, no, that's not what I want. That's not what I think it should be. That's not what I think it would be. That's not what I'm about. That's not the details. That's not what needs to get solved here. You can miss it because you're tuned into the details. When we, when we were looking for a place to call home and, and God brought us to this place, this was a, a, a group of Jewish people worshiping here. It was a synagogue. In fact, the, the Star of David is still on the cornerstone in the front here. And we came thinking, you know, what we need is a place that, that can, we can grow in, that God can make our home and we can, can see God build uh, our church and His kingdom right here. But you know what I think it was about, at least for two years? It wasn't about our home. It was about a, a bunch of Jewish people who needed to know that Jesus was the Messiah. It, came, it started to become apparent as we had discussions, as God brought us into friendships with people. And we could have argued over money or whose responsibility it was to fix the light or whether the rent was paid the right way. Or what it, we could have argued over all those details. But what it really came down to was, what's God's calling here? People. The people who are right around you. The people who need Jesus. And I remember sitting right over here at a round table on a, a Passover Seder with that group, with my family, all of our kids were little, with an 86-year-old Jewish guy who was taking us through the Passover and uh, showing us what they did ritualistically or whatever. And as it got done, he said to, to my wife and I, I never thought I would be sitting at a table with Christians. When I grew up, Christians were scary. They were the people who tried to kill you. They were the people who, were, uh, you know, who hated us for killing Jesus. Never thought I'd be sitting at a table with Christians. How easy is it to miss God's calling in your life because of life, because of the details and the busyness of life? And so today, what I want to show you is how Jesus called the first people to follow him. We're going to look in Matthew chapter 4, and I want this to lead us into the discussion that we're going to undertake in the fall on what the kingdom of God looks like, what his kingdom looks like. We're going to listen to and we're going to interact with the words of Jesus And I hope that it is transformative for us as we think about the kingdom. Because maybe the kingdom isn't what you think it is. I will tell you it wasn't what they thought it was. That's the whole reason for the Sermon on the Mount. The kingdom wasn't what they expected. And so if life hasn't been what you've expected, and you've been feeling heavy, and you've been feeling pointless, maybe the problem is you need to find out what the kingdom is all about. And you need to start recognizing God's call in your life for the kingdom. So, Matthew chapter 4. I am going to start by reading just verse 17. Pam, I know I told you I'd read 17 and 18, but I'm just going to read 17. I'll read 18 next time. That's just a little business there. All right. (laughs) Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Here's what it says. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus says the kingdom is right here. The kingdom is right in front of you. Now, what I would say to you is, if you have been living a life that feels empty, that feels pointless, that feels heavy, Jesus' word for you is repent, For the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is near. It's right here. Sometimes we think that 
Getting saved, accepting Jesus is about the someday way out there. When I die, I go to heaven. I need Jesus for that moment. How about you? When I die, I need Jesus so that I don't go to to hell and, and punishment so that instead I am ransomed and redeemed into heaven for eternity. I need Jesus for that moment. Yes, I do. But the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's not just about then. It's about right here, right now. And so many times what happens for believers is we live like the kingdom is someday instead of today. The kingdom is right in front of you. And I would like to, over the coming months, introduce you to it, refresh you in it, because the Sermon on the Mount is all about the kingdom. And Jesus says, a new day has come. A new dawn is here. This is a kingdom, and it is the kingdom of heaven. It is the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom of Christ. And it is not where one group of people are better than another group of people. Where one group of people is stronger and in charge, and the other group of people is subjugated and has to listen. That's an old kingdom. That's an earthly kingdom. That's not this kingdom. But I wonder how often that kingdom is reflected in church. You know, the good Christians, the spiritual people, the people with power and authority, and then those people who don't, and the people who are bad, the people who are shamed. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here, and it is good news. It is a kingdom where right is done and where wrong is gone. We think about, when I say to you kingdom, when I say that word, especially in English, and even the Jews thought this way, they thought about a place. This is the kingdom. But the word doesn't mean a place. The word means a reign, a king, someone in charge. The word means that God is going to establish a place where Jesus is king. The mistake that we make today is thinking that, you know, it's a someday, somewhere thing when when really it's a right now, Jesus is king thing. And so he can be king in you right now. Jesus says in order to experience, engage the kingdom of heaven, you have to repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You have to repent. This idea of repentance is to Jewish people who received from God on a fiery mountain the law, the Old Testament, you know, Ten Commandments. They received that from God. There was no doubt where that system came from. And Jesus says to them, you need to repent. You need to turn from that. You need to let go of that. When you come to the kingdom of heaven, he will ask you to let go of things that you are holding on to that are keeping you stuck in an old kingdom. Some of you are weary from holding on to stuff that God has asked you to let go of. He's your king. He's your Lord. But you say, no, life won't be good unless I hold on to this. And so instead of letting it go because your king said let it go, so here Jesus says to them, repent. You need to get away from this idea as Jewish folks that you can handle your spirituality yourself in your own strength, in your own way. Originally, the structure of the law was given so that the people of God could stay on track in their relationship with God. But what it had done instead is made them arrogant, given them security in their sinfulness as long as it didn't go across a line because they were keeping the rules. So Jesus says to them, you have to repent. Not because you're not trying, but because there's more than what you've experienced. There's kingdom. 
You're stuck in the in and outs, the day in, day out, the rules, the regulations. There's more than that. There's a kingdom where I am with you and I am in charge of you and you are surrendered to me. In a larger way, that repentance that Jesus calls for them to have is connected to everybody's need to repent. Because everybody, when we come to Jesus, when we're presented with this truth of the saving grace of God, we've been putting our trust or our hope in something, just not Him. People choose to trust their own thinking, their own abilities, their own performance, their own record, their own achievements. And we have to let go of that. We have to repent in order to come into the kingdom. And so this is the call Jesus starts to preach. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Now, how attractive is that call? Unfortunately, that depends in some respect on what you think the kingdom is and whether or not it's worth repenting over. Whether or not you're willing to let go of stuff that you'd rather hold on to. Things that you like, things that you know, things that you're sure of if you're willing to let go of it because the kingdom is here, because I will trade that for this. For some of us, the problems in our life, the heartache in our life right now today, the heaviness in your life right now today is Jesus saying, do you want the kingdom more than you want that thing? Do you want the kingdom more than you want your way? Do you want the kingdom more than you want your comfort? More than you want control? Do you want the kingdom What's more valuable to you? We want both, God. And he says, well, you can't have both. You have to pick. What do you want? What do you believe the kingdom is? Do you want it? It's at hand. It's right here. It's right in front of you. Do you want it? Maybe we're stuck on that repentance part, that letting go, that turning away part. It offends us. But just consider this. If you're someone who is stuck on that, just consider this. What if letting go of it What if it actually is the key to the life that you have been longing for? What if letting go of that thing, that habit, that that, that place in your life that you've been excusing, that that, that thing in your your history or your, your past that you won't let go of, that situation in the future and the results that you can't let go of, you can't stop thinking about. What if letting go of it is actually good? It's actually hope and peace and life for you and you just won't. The call to repentance is really good because the kingdom is near. Let me tell you, you want the kingdom instead of whatever you're holding on to. So the choice is put in front of you. Now, then we find Jesus start to talk to people. As he begins to preach that the kingdom of God is near, he starts to ask people to follow him. And as he does this, he starts to call some people who will become the most famous names in church history. All right, so let's see where this starts in the book of Matthew. Verse 18 down to verse 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus starts to declare the kingdom of God is here, and he calls four men in this passage, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Some of the most famous names 
in the, the story of Christianity, in the story of Jesus. But not here. Here they weren't famous. Here there were no St. Peter's Cathedral. There was no book of Revelation or Gospel of John. Here they were just guys going to work. Fishermen. You ever been around fishermen? What's the smell like around fishermen? It smells like fish, right? It's not the, I've, not, I've yet to go to a store to buy cologne that smells like fish because people think it's attractive, right? These were guys who had their hands dirty. They were hardworking guys. They got up early. They stayed up late. They were making ends meet. They didn't have any special skills. They didn't have any higher education. They didn't have any social status. They were just guys on the seashore doing their job. And Jesus gives them a calling. Jesus says to them, come follow me. And their calling is our calling too. Here's the deal. We get so wrapped up in the talented people and the beautiful people and the, the, the engaging people and the, the people we love to watch perform and entertain us. But Jesus just doesn't call those people. Jesus calls the fishermen. And he makes the fishermen a powerful weapon in the course of, his, of history, in the course of Christianity and the story. He makes them front and center to his work. So if you've thought, well, I would love to do some big things for God, but I'm just, I'm just me, I'm just a nobody. This calling is for you. Come, follow me. Because what we see is that the kingdom is different The kingdom takes people who are lowly, people who are untrained, people who have a background that that doesn't qualify them for leadership and makes them leaders and teachers and examples anyway. Aren't you glad we serve a Savior like that? Let me see your resume. Let me see if you qualify to be somebody who can do something eternal. Yeah, you, you're unqualified? Great, I'll take you. Come here, you willing? Follow me. For all of us, no matter our background, no matter our our, our history, God comes and gives us a calling. Come, follow me. The kingdom is different. The kingdom isn't competitive. The kingdom isn't about you win and I lose and I win and you lose. The kingdom is about community. As a matter of fact, from here on in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospels, Jesus is never seen by himself except for rare moments where he goes off to pray by himself. The rest of his life is lived in community with a bunch of people around him. The kingdom is collaborative. It is connection. It's it's not a one-man show. It's not like the kingdom of this world. It's refreshingly different. It's life-givingly different. And yet we live in a world that has a different way of doing kingdom. The question for us as believers is which way will we do kingdom? Which kingdom do we want? So Jesus says to them, you're working and, 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 and fishing and doing your job. Leave that. Come follow me. And what we find out is that the words Jesus uses to them to tell them what he's going to do, I will make you fish for people, says this. What they were doing in their life was actually preparing them for what he was going to have them do. Some of the way that you can tell what God is going to call you to do in your life is by looking at how he's been preparing you in your life up to this moment. Did you know that some of the failures you've had and some of the hard times you've had were God preparing you for his calling in your life? 
That God is good enough to take you through the darkness, through the pain, through the hardship, through the betrayal, so that you'll be ready for His purpose in your life. Did you know that? That God can take all of it and you, so he says, hey, you're fishermen, come, I will make you fish for men. It was a major job in the area. These guys were probably not impoverished. They were probably lower middle class. They, they ate regularly and they had their basic needs met. They weren't powerful, but they weren't destitute either. And so many times that, that idea of, you know, I'm just kind of a nobody. I'm just a face in the crowd. I'm not, you think this isn't for you. That's nice that God would take the apostles and make them fishers of men. Not me, though. I wouldn't know how to answer. I don't know enough about God. I don't know the Bible too well. And, and you know, I don't live the best life. I, I curse sometimes or I drink sometimes or whatever. I do these things and, and not me. Not me. I think Jesus called these dirty, common, working guys as a very clear message. Yes, you. Yes, you. You too, come, follow me. I will give you work in the kingdom and I will have prepared you perfectly for what I am calling you to. Not that you will feel prepared, but you will find yourself prepared because of what God is doing. And so I will send you to fish for people. Now, in this day, if you think about fishing, everybody put in your mind a picture of fishing. What does fishing look like? I see, I see a boat, I see a rod, I see a guy with a bucket hat, I see fishing. What does fishing look like? that rod and reel and hook and bait thing, sometimes that's what we think he's saying, but that's not how they fished. They fished with nets. So Jesus is using this imagery of fishing with nets. Now, the difference is, when you fish with nets, number one, you're going for quantity. So if you were a fisherman and you were going to throw a net out in the lake, what would you want to know? What would you try? Where would you, how would you decide where you were going to throw your nets? where the fish are. Now, are you worried about like whether they're interested or not interested? <laughs> See, if I'm fishing like this, I got to worry about what do they want to bite, right? But if I'm fishing with a net, I just need to know where they are. That, that's kind of the idea here. The idea is you're going to go gather and, and they're, you know, they're, you're going to throw this net out here and you're just going to gather large quantities of people. So go where the people are. Go where there are needs. Go there and throw the net out and gather people into the kingdom. You know, if I was a fish swimming around and, and, and all of a sudden there's a net, I'm just thinking I'm going about my day, you know. I got my, I got my coffee in my hand and I'm just swimming along and, you know, I'm going to my business meeting or whatever and then I got to pick the kids up later and all of a sudden, net, right? I'm just going along in life, not expecting anything and, and I'm caught suddenly. That's the picture he gives of the kingdom, of fishers for men. The idea is, it's not just these special gatherings we get together and and the kingdom is here. and The kingdom is where the, 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 the kingdom people are. And you are fishers of men. And so the things that you will do this week are God inviting you to go fish for men. The opportunity that we have to go into regular life. And think about this. All of the problems in our world, if we sat here, if I just said, tell me some of the problems in our world, we could go on for an hour easy about the difficulties and the struggles and the hardship in the world today. 
And we can feel heavy. And we can feel, oh, man, what are we going to do about that? It's so hard. It's so bad. I just got to get my eyes on Jesus because I can't look at all that. Well, take a look at it for a second. And let me ask you this. Do the needs in this world reflect an opportunity for us to be fishers of men? For the kingdom to come in places that need the king to save them. In other words, I think the darkness of the world is an opportunity for the light to shine. I think it's our invitation to be exactly what he called us to be. To stop doing the life the way that we, everybody else is doing it, the way that we normally do it. Make sure my bills are paid. Make sure that I feel good. Make sure people like me. Kingdom of this world. And instead say, wherever I go today, it's because God is sending me out to do kingdom work. I have an opportunity to represent the kingdom here by how I live, by how I speak. In our culture, in our world today, how many issues need the kingdom to come? Whether it is racism, inequality, you know, financial inequality, Health, financial problems, sexual confusion, sexual sin, anger issues, abuse, violence, depression, whatever. What's the answer to that, people? What's the answer to all that? Jesus Christ. Be fishers of men. You bump into it all day, every day, and we start to do this. Because we're going to get attacked. Well, you're not attacked. You're not prey. You're a fisher. So go be a fisher. Represent the king. Share that there's good news and gather people into the kingdom. Some will slip your net, whatever. I don't think the disciples were were in the boat going, oh man, we missed three fish. They were like, look at the 300 in the net. Sometimes we're so, so like tuned into one fish. He said, be fishers of men. And so here he turns that picture, instead of fishing to kill the fish, he's talking about fishing to save the human being. Come, follow me. I'll show you how to do it. Jesus is a rabbi in the sense that people followed him. Now, in that day, teachers in Jewish culture, rabbis, they would just go around and teach. And they would find public squares or whatever, and they would just start talking. And then people would listen to them, and the people would decide if they wanted to follow them or not. People became disciples of a rabbi because they chose to be. Jesus flips that on his head too. Because Jesus comes and says, hey, Peter, Andrew, follow me. Hey, John, James, follow me. Jesus picks his disciples instead of his disciples picking him. He says, I'm doing it a different way. I'm not waiting for you to decide that you need me. I'm telling you you need me. Follow me. Be fishers of men. I'll show you how to do it. Listen, you may bump into people who don't think they need Jesus. Tell them they do anyway. Right? Tell them from experience they do anyway. Right? Do you know they need Jesus? No, you don't? I'll let you think about it for a minute. We can have have the Jeopardy music. We can play. Do you know that they need Jesus? Just think about it. Just think about it. Just think about it. All right. What do you think? Yes or no? Yes. Of course I know. How do you know that? Experience. I've lived it. Have you lived knowing that people on their own, without Jesus, are lost? Of course you have. So when someone comes to you and says, I don't need Jesus. Yes, you do. You may not know it yet, but you do. And I hope you figure it out, but you need Jesus. He saved me. He rescued me. 
He healed my soul. He made life worth living. He gave me a point and a purpose. He gave me a hope for the future. He meets me in the middle of my need every day. How many here can testify to that truth? And if you can, do it. Because people need to hear it. I will make you fishers of men. He invites us to a life that is active, not passive. Fishermen are not passive. They don't sit in the boat like, well, I wonder when some fish are going to want to get in my boat. I don't know. I hope God leads me to some people who want to jump in my boat. It is a choice. It is an active choice, not waiting for them to come and ask or seek. It is throwing a net out. It is a culture of initiating, of gathering people into the kingdom because in the kingdom there is life. In the kingdom there is healing. In the kingdom there is peace. In the kingdom there is hope. There is love in the kingdom. Man, I want people in the kingdom. Do you want people in the kingdom? Be fishers of men. Follow me. And it is an active thing, not a passive thing. And so it is a culture where I initiate with people and I talk to people around me. I talk into the the people that God brings into my path and gives me an opening or a doorway or, or a chance to have a conversation in a meaningful way. If you're in school, I would say look around at classmates. If you're a a person who works, look at your coworkers. Look at your family. Look at your neighbors. Look at what God does. Look how God leads your path. Because there is a call for you to initiate with people, with the lost. People who've never met Jesus. With the missing. People who know Jesus, but they've disappeared. With the hurting, people who know Jesus, but they are under such pain and some sorrow, and you need to go initiate with them, invite them to experience the kingdom. We need to do this not just with the world, but with one another. Fishers of men, we introduce it. We get to go to them for Jesus. We're not looking for the hungry fish necessarily. If they're hungry, great. But we already know they're hungry for Jesus, whether they know it or not. And so we throw the net out again and again, no matter how many times we come up empty. Now, if that sounds daunting to you, that sounds overwhelming to you, I want to share the last part of this passage before we get to the place where it's the Sermon on the Mount because there's really good news for you. Look at what Jesus did after he called them to this great big calling about gathering people into this transformative kingdom. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain and demon-possessed and those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, and Judea, and the region across Jordan followed him. Fishers of men, large crowds followed him, Guess what? Here's the good news. Jesus is powerful and Jesus knows how to gather. So if he said, come follow me and be fishers of men, he will go with you and you will see him gather through you. He prepared the disciples by saying, follow me. And he then gathered large crowds to him. He fished and he showed them how to do it. First, he started by calling to them. Hey, come follow me. And they responded. He's calling to you, and I wonder what your response will be. It requires that you lift your eyes up from all of the things you've been fixated on, that you devalue those things in a way that says they're not important enough to have that much of my attention. 
If I don't do that, I'll never get to the, hey, I'm living for the kingdom. The question is whether we're open to it like these four disciples were, to leave behind and let go of what we were doing, what what we have in our hands, and to start living, rising up to the calling we have on us. Maybe it doesn't mean you leave your job or, or your home. or like Maybe it doesn't mean as dramatic of a, a geographical change. But you start to realize that where you're going is not about what it looks like it's about. It's about God taking you to places to be fishers of men. And so if you're a student, you're not at school because of school. You're there because you are a fisher of men. At work, you're not at work because of work. You're there because God is leading you into his calling to be a fisher of men. Now, for both of those areas and any other one, doesn't that change everything? What, what do you have to be so upset about and so frustrated about, about how they're doing things at work and how people at school always talk? And what, if you're there to be a fisher of men, what difference does it make what everybody else is doing? That's not what you're doing, right? It's not your thing. You're there because the kingdom is near. And you have Jesus to offer to people. Will we? Will we do it? Maybe your life's been feeling small because you've been living for small things. Maybe it's time for the body of Christ to start living like the kingdom is near. I want to put that calling in front of us and I want us to put this before the Lord and I want Him to grow and and change and, and teach us how to do exactly what He wants us to do, to live for more than this life, to live for more than this world, to live for more than the stuff of this world. God is about to send you on an adventure this week, a kingdom adventure. I don't know what it's going to look like. You don't know what it's going to look like. But I know this. He will be asking you to share the kingdom, to gather for the kingdom wherever you go. The only question is, will you or won't you? Let's put this before the Lord. We'll dedicate it as we go. So I'm going to ask you just to stand with me. We're going to bow our heads before the Lord and we're going to ask God to do this in us. Every willing heart here, you lift up your heart to the Lord. As I lead in prayer, you agree with it. You pray this too. Let's pray together. Lord, use us. Include us, I pray, in your work. Pour out your spirit in us as we go. May it be your power and your strength that allows us and gives us eyes to see how we have been called to be fishers in mankind. Your kingdom is the only one that works, Lord. All these other kingdoms, they keep hoping that they will work, but yours is the only one that works. Yours is the only one that satisfies, the only one that brings life. And so I pray that we as your people would live in your kingdom. We would share your kingdom, that your kingdom would come, that it would fill this earth that many would see and put their trust in the Lord as we, your people, go out as fishers of men. Lord, use us this week, we pray in the name of Jesus.